Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Oh my gosh, this is going to be my, this is a my favorites episode, and it's my favorite list of artists or entertainers or whatever you want to call them, who, because of artistic integrity, they wanted to be authentic. They turned down millions of dollars when I honestly don't think I would have made that decision. Like everyone always says, oh, you know, be yourself. Don't, don't sell out. Don't do things just for the money. You do need money to live. And as much as, I mean, I feel like a lot of my writing I do with artistic integrity, or I, I, I hope I do, but some of these decisions I'm about to tell you are just incredible to me. So we're going to talk about, well, first I'll talk about Jewel, the singer, and then we're going to talk about Sylvester Stallone, uh, Seinfeld, and a few others. My, my favorite, my favorite actor, Seinfeld. So first off, Jewel, she was on my podcast and I admit I was kind of a little bit in love. You can't help it. She's very cute. And that that's sexist, I know, but uh, I couldn't help it. And I do think she's a wonderful singer, though. I really am a big fan. That's why I wanted her on my podcast, and I admire a lot of things about her. But in particular, something she told me during the podcast blew my mind. So she, she had a, a hard life as a child. She was abused. She went from house to house. She lived in a barn for a while. She was homeless for a while. And ultimately, she was homeless in, I believe it was Venice Beach, California. And every day, she would like basically, I don't know, sleep on the beach or sleep wherever homeless people sleep. Or she slept in her car. That's it. She slept in her car. And every day, there was this one diner that she would sing in. And a crowd start. her, her singing was so beautiful. She's 19 years old. Her, her singing was so beautiful that a crowd started to 
develop every day and it would get bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually this is LA people in the entertainment industry would, would heard about this amazing singer in this diner and you know, the, the music industry would show up and listen. So one time a record label, and this is again, she is living in her car and a record label said, we'll do an album for you. Uh, we'll give you a million dollar advance, a million dollars. You're homeless. You need to take this million dollars. And she thought about it and she said, no, Jay, Jay, would you, would you have said no to you're homeless? You have no money in the bank and you have this talent. You're right. 19 years old because you have, so you have right. your whole life ahead of you. Would you have taken a million dollars there? No, like million dollars, million dollars. If you if you say, hey, Jay, I'm going to give you a million dollars to slap your best friend, I would do it instantly. <laughs> right. Like what wouldn't you do for a million dollars? Nothing. A million dollars is a lot of money. Yeah. So like if if I said to you, Jay, you have to move to Montana for three years. Would you do that? Oh, yeah. For a million dollars? For a million dollars? For okay. million dollars I mean, like that, that, that means like, do you cover all the housing expenses as well? Like, th no, I no. Have to I'm just gonna give you a million dollars. How you think there's like you think there's expensive houses in Mon you think rent is expensive in Montana? Well, but I just want to make sure I get my million dollar worth. Like, I have to get the clean million dollars. Okay, no, you just know? to make sure that you're not going to be wasting too much mon money in Montana for a million dollars. Let me just right. find rent for you here. Um, um, um. Uh, we're gonna find rent in Montana. Okay, okay, Jay. Here's a two-bedroom apartment right. for nine hundred seventy-five dollars a month. Yeah, nine hundred seventy-five dollars a month. Let's say a thousand. What are you? Month. What are you paying now for your studio in New York City? It's Twenty-five. Uh, Twenty-six hundred. Twenty-six hundred. Okay. Here's another two-bedroom for one thousand twenty-five. I think you're gonna do okay. Particularly since you work remote. <laughs> so, you know, here's a two-bedroom for five hundred fifty a month. You think you'll think you'll go broke on a million dollars? No, but you know, like when you say a million dollars, means I get a million dollars just for the challenge. You know, I didn't I didn't have to spend extra money for the challenge. I mean, here's a townhouse, three bedrooms. Okay, nine hundred ninety five dollars a month in Missoula, Montana, which is a pretty happening town, right. I might add. Right. How many square feet is your apartment? I think it's like less than six hundred. Okay. Here's here's eighteen hundred and forty eight square feet in Bozeman, Montana, for eighteen hundred a month. Right. With a right. million dollars, you could stay there for five hundred months. Right. If there's any, you know, Montana's uh, official listening to this, make sure you sponsor the podcast. Right. Mon the James Aldridge Show. The James Aldridge Show, sponsored by the state of Montana. I don't even know who the governor of Montana is. I, I don't really know anything about Montana. You know, honest. my my theory, which I've said before on this podcast, which is that they should never have put, look, I'm Jewish and um, whatever they, in 1948, the Jews were in really bad shape after World War II, of course, and they wanted their own country just to be safe. Why did they put them in the middle of the Middle East where every other country hates them and goes to war against them constantly? They should have put the Jewish country in Montana there's so much land in Montana. It's an enormous state. You just put them, Israel is like the size of one one hundredth of Montana. They could have, and everybody could have been living in $600 a month, five bedroom apartments, and 
we would have had all the Jews hanging out in Montana building like, that would have been like the Silicon Montana area. At least North Dakota and Idaho wouldn't be going to war against them constantly. So <laughs> that, would, that would be a drag. So can you imagine if North Dakota, like the Dakotas just really hate Israel and Montana. It's like, why did they give them Montana? Uh, anyway, enough of that. So here's why Jewel did it. Here's why she returned on a million dollars. She had a very offbeat style. It wasn't like a pop kind of style. And she was afraid that there would be too much pressure on her to sell like millions of copies. And then the record label would dump her and her career would be over. So she was honest at the age of 19, she was mature enough to be worried about her artistic integrity and to be worried about her long-term career. I mean, she has a career forever now. And here's what she said to me. She said, don't write for the masses, write for yourself. And then I said, um, isn't there a tension there? Like, what if you write for yourself and then nobody likes it? Don't you want to write something that people like? And she said, we all have common experiences. Ultimately, when you write for yourself, you tap into that common cultural experience we all share. And that is such good advice for an artist. An artist, the, the key to good art, the key to being a good artist is to figure out who you are. In fact, there's a chapter in my book coming out, Skip the Line. It's called, Who Are You? Why Are You? How Are You? And, it, it, and I explain what these three questions mean and how it helps figure out who you are, whether you're an artist or a businessman or an entrepreneur or whatever. You have to have your own unique voice. She was afraid her voice would be dictated to her by the record label. So she turned down the million albums since then, she signed with another record label and she sold 30 million albums after that. And so, you know, she, she said she started writing every day, journaling, writing the lyrics to her future songs. And I found that every time I wrote, she's saying this, I found that every time I wrote, it reduced my anxiety, even when I was living in my car. So money doesn't solve the problems, but finding your authentic artistic integrity ideally will. And that's something I should remember. That's something everybody should remember. And artistic integrity doesn't just mean like a singer or a movie star. It could be a businessman. It could be an entrepreneur, but, um, you know, stick to your vision, but make sure it's really your unique vision. And it's something you passionately care about, which obviously she did. So next on my list, Sylvester Stallone. And it's not just that he turned down money, he had a tough life when he, I don't think a lot of people know this. I don't know. You, obviously, you know who Sylvester Stallone is, right? Like Rocky and Rambo oh, yeah, and all that. Sure. Yep. And so, so did you yeah. know that when he was, there was comp, when his mom was in labor with him, there were complications during the labor. So the lower left side of Sylvester Stallone's face is completely paralyzed since birth, including, um, parts of his tongue, lip, chin. And so that's, that's part of the reason he has kind of this weird way of, of speaking and it looks like his chin is a little off. Yeah. So he's, he literally, part of his face is paralyzed. Did, did you know that? Yeah. I, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th that's one of the famous story out there about him. I think I, like, I know, never knew that until I was preparing for this. About him. Really? Okay. Did you know this? I didn't know this. Really? Did you know that when he was, uh, he, he didn't have any income. He didn't have a job. So he responded to a casting call for a pornography film. He got $200 for two days of filming a softcore pornography film. Did you know that? Th that I didn't know. That I didn't know. I felt like I heard about it, but I, I didn't think I, I didn't think I really know about it. I thought it was, it was like a joke that people make. But I mean, is that like a real thing that actually happened to him? Another time he was so broke 
he sold his dog for fifty dollars. Yep, that I know. And then uh, really, and then you knew that? One, I didn't know that. Yeah, and then once uh, the Rocky became successful, he went back and bought back the dog. Oh, really? Okay, yep. I didn't know that. Yep. So, so anyway, he was into boxing. He grew up in Hell's Kitchen, or he 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 was born in Hell's Kitchen in New York, which was had a lot of boxing gyms. In 1975, he saw the fight Muhammad Ali versus Chuck Wepner. Now, Chuck Wepner had a name. He was called the Bleeder. He was like, there was no way Chuck Wepner was going to beat Muhammad Ali. But it was like an amazing fight. I didn't see the fight, but apparently it was an amazing fight. And Chuck Wepner was bleeding all over the place. Muhammad Ali was pummeling him. But Chuck Wepner didn't didn't go down. I think I think it went the fight or it went 10 rounds, something like that. And uh, he, he actually, at one point, Wepner knocked Muhammad Ali down. And Muhammad Ali hardly ever got knocked down. And Wepner thought he was going to win the fight. He said, he said to his uh, the the coach or whatever on the side, "Hey, I think I'm going to win this fight. I'm going to win a million dollars." And his coach said, "Well, don't look now, but I think Muhammad Ali is getting really angry." And then Muhammad Ali just crushed him. But Stallone was inspired by this fight. So in three days, he wrote the entire script for Rocky, and he figured he, not only did he write the script, not only did he want to make this movie, he thought it would be a great movie. But he wanted to be the lead actor, even though other than that softcore film, he had never done any acting. So finally, he pitched it everywhere. Everyone rejected him. And finally, some movie studio offered him $300,000 for the script. $300,000. This is a guy who was so broke, he had just sold his dog for $50. But... The studio said, we'll buy the script, but we don't want you to be involved. We don't want you to be the director. We don't want you to be the lead. We don't want you to be an actor in it. We just want to buy the script. So he turned down the, the he turned down the 300,000. The, the studio told him, you're not an actor, you're a writer. So he could have built a career maybe as a movie writer, which, you know, there's sort of like this stereotype or this sort of this cliche that he's maybe not so smart, but he, he was offered to be, you know, a potential successful Hollywood writer. But finally, there was a studio that agreed to um, produce the film, but on a tiny, tiny budget. It was like the smallest budget to, to make a movie. So Stallone accepted the deal. He wasn't going to make any money on this. He accepted the deal. And, uh, you're, you're, uh, you know, he, I guess he bought his dog back maybe with for $75 or whatever or, or whatever. And he made Rocky. He was the lead. The film was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. It won Academy Awards for Best Picture, Best Directing, Best Film Editing. It's uh, And then, you know, the, then Rocky II was made, Rocky Three, Rocky Four. Uh, was there a Rocky Five? I don't even know. Do, do you know if there was Rocky Five? Yeah, there was Creed and then Creed Two. Yep. Oh, yeah, Creed. Right. So the whole series has grossed more than $1.25 billion mm -hmm. at the box office. So he turned yeah. down 300000 and he made some percentage of $1.25 billion. Then, of course... He, he made Rambo and, uh, you know, again, I don't know if I would have made that decision. I think I would have said, I think actually it's an abundance mindset to take the $300,000 and say, look, this is not my only shot at being the lead in a movie. I'll write another film. It's almost like a scarcity complex that made him not take the money, as weird as that sounds. So he just was persistent. He really wanted to be the lead. Yeah, I wonder what makes him think that like, okay… Uh, this was my last chance, you know? Yeah, maybe Yeah, maybe he was so used to um, having nothing that he felt like he's never going to have a screenplay like this again. And so this was his last chance to um, 
to to make something of himself. I don't know, but he could have probably right. imagined he would have had a career as a writer. But uh, here's a, here's a quote by him: "Don't be gullible. Use life before it uses you. Understand there are no free lunches, and for every action you take, there's a reaction." So maybe he felt like, you know, he was being gullible if he, you know, he had a vision, he had a dream, and mm-hmm. uh you know, he didn't want to, he didn't want to, you know, there's only one life. And, you know, if he, if he started just taking the money, maybe he felt that would turn into his life. Just taking, just taking the money. All right, let's see next Mark Zuckerberg. So now Mark Zuckerberg, he had this little company called Facebook. And I remember this, this was in summer of 2007. He was offered a bill. So Yahoo tried to buy Facebook for a billion dollars and Mark Zuckerberg owned 25% of Facebook. He was 24 years old and he would have made $250 million when you, I mean, Jay, if you were 24 years old and you could make $250 million, would you take it? Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, it goes back to that. Like if, if I'm 24 years old and you, you're, you're like, hey, I'm going to cut off one of your fingers. I'm going to give you $250 million. Yeah, I would take it. $250 million what, is way more money than $1 million. What about cut off your right arm? Well, that maybe I have to think about it. If you give me a billion dollars, then maybe, yeah. Well, what's the difference <laughs> between $250 million and a billion? What are well, you going to buy? What are you going to buy if you have a billion, but, you, but you're like, oh, I only have $250 million. This sucks. <laughs> well, see, if you think about it, a billion, you can found a company that makes like a cyborg arms. Then you have a cool arm. So okay. it's a win-win situation. Okay, but you remember we had that guy um, from the Impossible Labs. Remember that guy? Uh, Mick. Yeah, Mick Ebeling. He makes prosthetic arms cheap. Yeah, he's a good guy. We should see what he's up to. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think I was there. I felt like I was there. I felt like I heard about his name. Heard of his name before. Yeah. But yeah, you know, a billion dollars, you can find a company that make you a cool set of cyborg arms, you know, and then you, that's your icebreaker out there. You know, I mean, in the 70s, people. it only cost $6 million to get a bionic arm. The $6 million man. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, like, what can it do? Now, uh, you know, my arms can do a lot more. My arms can be on my map, GPS, everything. I always figure you'd have two problems if you lost your right arm. I can't write left-handed. Right. Which is the name of a famous song by Bill Withers about the Vietnam War, and he encountered right, right. a soldier who uh, uh, got his right arm shot off. And you can't, I can't write, I can't write lefty. So I have to uh-huh. learn these new skills. Otherwise, maybe for a billion, I don't know, maybe. Um, so anyway, here's what happened to Mark Zuckerberg. Why did he turn down 250 million? So I had the opportunity to personally ask Peter Thiel on this very podcast. Peter Thiel was the first investor in. Facebook. And now don't forget, this was shortly after Peter Thiel had sold, he invested in Facebook kind of right after he sold PayPal to eBay. How much did he make when he sold PayPal to eBay? Well, uh, Peter Thiel made $75 million. And Peter Thiel also would have made around, you know, one or $200 million. So this was a big deal. And they were on the board. And Peter was telling me the entire board of directors was trying to convince Mark Zuckerberg to take the deal. And Mark Zuckerberg said, what would I do with 250 million? I would just write some code to connect people to each other and create a social network. Well, I've already got that. So I don't want to take the 250 million. And 
fortunately, fortunately for him and Peter Thiel and everyone else who was an investor, Facebook is now worth what? 800 billion. Let me just see. Hold on. What's Facebook worth? I mean, could you imagine turning down 250 million and now, yeah, it's worth $769 billion. So what's Mark Zuckerberg worth now? Let's see. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to use the Forbes list, even though, um, even though I've shot on them in the past, Mark Zuckerberg net worth. $105 billion. Oh, wait. I thought, is he more, the, 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 is his net worth more than uh, uh, Jeff Bezos? I thought Jeff No, no, Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Bezos worth like $180 billion. Oh, $180 billion And that's now? after he got a divorce. That's subtracting the money that half, yeah. went to his wife. Uh, it, didn't, yeah. it wasn't quite half, but uh, it, was a, it was a lot of money. Her, okay. His wife is not poor. Yep. <laughs> like, it's not like she got $10,000 and he kept $180 million. So... Right. Um, but, but that was Mark Zuckerberg and it worked out. He's, he stuck to his vision. I guess he kind of figured that if someone's going to offer me a billion now, then I can always make some money later anyway. But next one, next one, the one and the only one of my favorite people on the planet, Jerry Seinfeld. So Jerry Seinfeld, he was offered. So, you know, Seinfeld was the most successful TV show in history. And he was, he, he did nine seasons and after nine seasons, the ratings were, were high. I think, I think like a hundred million people watched or 90 million people watched the series finale. Like it was a big deal. Like Larry David came back to write the series finale. Uh, they went out on a high, they were at their highest ratings ever at the series finale. And Jack Welch, who was the CEO of GE general electric and general electric owned NBC, which was the network that aired. Seinfeld, Jack Welch said to Jerry Seinfeld, Hey, I'll give you a hundred million dollars. Everybody, the public wants Seinfeld. They want a 10th season of Seinfeld. I'll give you a hundred million dollars. If you do just one more season of Seinfeld and Jerry Seinfeld said no. And so, uh, this came up, uh, he was being interviewed by Howard Stern and he said, he said to Howard Stern, look, the public wanted more, but Howard, the public is not in show business. So you should do the opposite of what the public wants. There's a reason they are not in show business. So he, that's a very smart intuition, which is that if he had, he, if he had done a 10th season of Seinfeld, his intuition was there was no way it would have been good as the other nine seasons. And part of his reasoning was, is that the public wanted the 10th season and they wanted it so much that he had a feeling they were, the expectations were so high. He'd have a feeling he would, he would disappoint them and everybody, you know, that would, that would tarnish hit the rest of his career, it tarnishes artistic reputation. So again, artistic integrity saves the day, but he also figured, I mean, thing about Mark Zuckerberg or Jerry Seinfeld is they definitely had enough money when they were being offered the money. So yes, he turned down a hundred million. But he probably knew that with syndication and everything, he was easily going to make several hundred million. And in fact, he's made over a billion. And so, you know, he made he made the right decision. Uh, and he's done a lot of other things. He's done a lot of other things with his career, including writing a single op-ed piece in the New York Times that completely trashed me. So that was that actually was the highlight of his career. The public wanted him to write that op-ed piece, and he did it. 
And then we never hear about him anymore. Yeah, now his career's over because he, he everybody was like, how could you write that op-ed against James Altucher? America loves James Altucher. Uh, and now <laughs> he's, he's your best friend. Yeah, now I, can't, I, I can't tell that guy. I can't, I need a restraining order against him. He's, he, can't get, he can't get away from me. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? Well, with almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise dedicated to shaping brighter futures for both students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and their proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference. Pursue your dreams of business ownership and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. 
And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS for now. Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So uh, here's an odd one, Breaking Bad. So the writers of Breaking Bad, including Vince Gilligan, who created Breaking Bad. So Breaking Bad, you know, the TV show was probably in the top three TV shows of all time about a chemistry teacher who breaks bad and starts to cook methamphetamine after discovering that he has cancer and he wants money to leave to his kid and his wife. So anyway, Breaking Bad was offered, Jeffrey Katzenberg offered the Breaking Bad writers, $75 million to make just three more episodes, and they turned it down. And I don't know how much money TV writers make, but I kind of doubt that they, as a group, that they had $75 million. That seems unrealistic to me. So, but they turned it down, and they turned it down for the most insane reason. So Breaking Bad had 62 episodes in total, 62. And do you, uh, Jay, did you watch Breaking Bad? I don't know. No, I didn't watch Breaking Bad, even though I should. Breaking Bad's a great show. But uh, honestly, I've probably watched it three times the entire series. But here's the thing. There's a reason why the show only had 62 episodes. Is that the 62nd, the 62nd element on the periodic table is Samarium. And this element, Samarium is known for treating lung cancer, which is the cancer that Walter White had. And so for Vince Gilligan, the creator of the show, symbolism was very important as part of his artistic integrity. So he turned down $75 million to keep, nobody even knew that that was the reason why there were 62 episodes. It only came out later, but he, he turned down the 75 million, which seems kind of insane to me, but that's, that's the story. So I don't even know what to say about that. Like I a hundred percent would have taken, uh, I, I would have, I would have just done like, I don't know, uh, sequels. Like even if, even if, oh, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but let's see who is next on my list of 
artists who have turned down money for this is my list of favorite artists who have turned down money for artistic integrity uh macklemore uh the rapper macklemore i first became aware of macklemore when he did the rap song thrift shop he's done many great songs but thrift shop was sort of his breakout uh song that made him you know it won all sorts of awards and everything but he was in he was in his career had gone for a long time before he had that breakout hit and he at first he tried to get you know all the uh record labels to sign him it was hard to be an independent artist particularly an independent rapper but uh finally though he was getting enough uh, acclaim and this was still before thrift shop but he was sort of he was sort of getting known and uh jay this one actually is going to be very important to you uh the, this story and i'll tell you why because Finally, L.A. Reid, who's a big record executive, uh, and he was a judge on X Factor. He's a he he ran a record label, and uh, L.A. Reid called him and said, "I want to sign you." And Macklemore said, "Well, I'm not sure we want to be signed." But uh, L.A. Reid said, "I don't don't even talk anymore. I, where is your next show? Wherever your next show is, I'm bringing my entire team to go to the next show." And Macklemore is like, "Are you sure?" And L.A. Reid said, yeah, we're all going to the show. We're getting on a plane right now. We're going to go to wherever your next show is. And it did turn out that Macklemore had a show coming up in a few days. So it was in Missoula, Montana, your new home. Montana. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And he was going to go. It was performing at the Wilma Theater in Missoula, Montana. So, you know, there's a lot of culture in Missoula. And uh, L.A. Reid flew out and he did... uh, he did try to convince Macklemore to sign with him and Macklemore said, no, I'm going it my own way. And then he released the thrift shop and the rest is history. He's, he's super successful. There's also a really good guest appearance by Macklemore in one of my favorite, uh, TV shows, the show Dave, uh, I watched it during the pandemic. It's on Hulu. It's about the rapper, little Dicky, and it's a, it's a sitcom, but it's kind of about his life and it was created by him. And there's a lot of good comedians in it, a lot of good performances. Anyway, Macklemore makes a guest appearance in that. But uh, here's a quote from Macklemore. I'm really happy that we did it independently and we're going to go continue to go that route. If there is something that makes sense, like I've always said, at this point, it completely remains independent. L.A. Reid was super cool. His team was super cool. It was really dope that an icon and legend like L.A. Reid would fly to Montana. That was just super humbling. But he turned down the money. He turned down the record label. Kept to his artistic integrity. And and by the way, this is not to say that, you know, going with a record label is does does not have integrity. It's just in these situations, the artists felt that their vision could only be implemented if they go their own way and if they chose themselves. This is basically a choose yourself kind of episode. So next in line, my actual favorite comedian or one of them, uh, Dave Chappelle. So uh, many people probably remember Chappelle's show and Comedy Central offered $50 million for Dave Chappelle to do another season. And Dave Chappelle at first said yes. And they were all set to do the show. Uh, Neil Brennan was his co-writer. He was going to get some of that money. They all show up for the first day of filming. No Dave Chappelle. He's gone. He's completely missing. I think it took a few weeks to find him. And he was just he decided to go to Africa and he totally blew off Comedy Central and turned he blew off the 50 million. He wasn't a rich guy. He even says on some of his Netflix specials, he didn't really have he had money, but not a lot of money. And 
certainly not 50 million. And, uh, you know, the, the Netflix specials, he was happy he got them. This is, you know, in 2016, 2017, 2018, he got $20 million in a, a special from Netflix. So he, he got his 50 million, you know, 13, 14 years later, but he turned it down. And, and the reason why he turned it down was he was doing a lot of, uh, sketches, uh, on the Chappelle show, which it, it was sort of like a parody of racism but he felt like people were taking the sketches too seriously and actually were being racist. So he, he thought that people were laughing for all the wrong reasons and, and he thought he was contributing to racism with his show. And so $50 million couldn't convince Dave Chappelle to make more pseudo racist sketches. So, and again, and then people thought this was like Neil Brennan, did a whole special about how depressed he got. Uh, it was called uh, Three Mics. It was a really great special on HBO. And, you know, but, and, and and again, he did. He wasn't writing racist sketches. He was kind of doing a satire of that, but he felt like people were taking it the wrong way. And boom, uh, he, you know, he 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 went to Africa and 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 now he did it my style, which is he just didn't even tell them <laughs> that he was quitting. Which is kind of the kind of thing I unfortunately do occasionally. So I have one more, which is probably the biggest amount of money I've ever heard of anyone turning down. But basically, ABBA, which I think might be one of the best selling bands ever. Let's see, how many albums did ABBA sell? I think, sh I think they are the one uh, because you still have Beatles. I feel like there's a Wikipedia page for, for all of this. Yeah, list of best-selling yeah. music artists. Wikipedia. Wikipedia is the best. So, yeah, the Beatles sold six hundred million, and about so half of it, I think. Huh? Elvis Presley's number two with also six hundred million. For some reason, I thought like Drake was on this list. Pink Floyd is like number is number ten with two hundred fifty million. Led Zeppelin right. is three hundred million. Uh. ABBA is Eminem is 220 million. Uh, so he's the first rapper. Gosh, Rihanna is higher than Eminem. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah. And, and Drake's 170 million. ABBA's all the way down there. ABBA's 150 million. But they were, they, they, you know, there was a lot of tensions in the band. So they famously, like, you know, broke up. And I think it was in 2004, their old tour group or whatever, the company that put them on tours, offered them a billion dollars for a reunion tour and they said no. So they're because their music's their music had a lot of resurgence. Like they had that Broadway show where they still have it. It's a Mamma Mia. And so their 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 music had a big resurgence. So they know, I mean they must have done the calculation, the the people who offered them the billion, that they would make this money back. So they offered them a billion dollars and Abba said no. Let me see what what Abba said as a result. Uh, um, hold on. Abba rejected. Uh, of course, there's a lot of stories of people like, you know, Tom Cruise turned down playing Iron Man. Uh, Will Smith turned down playing, you know, the Keanu Reeves role in um, uh, The Matrix. But, right. but uh, those are different, right? Yeah, those are just like, you know, you, you, you don't, it's not like a, it is an offer, but those guys were already getting huge numbers for every movie. So they just kind of have to decide which movies to do. And sometimes you make a mistake. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you don't. 
Um, so yeah, and I, most of the time they turned down the role because they just don't think the movie's gonna that the movie just wasn't any good or it's not gonna be successful. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Right. So they they have to take a they have to take a gamble because they don't want their their. They, it's not even about artistic integrity. They they want to have commercial integrity. So if they do like a, a right. bad movie, they won't get as much money the next time. So Will Smith totally supposedly turned down the Matrix because. Uh, 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 he didn't understand the script, which I get. It's a complicated right. script. Uh, so let's it see. Is. I want to see what Ava. I, I thought I had it right here, but let's let's bring it up. So, um, Ava turned down a one billion dollar offer to reunite because it would involve playing two hundred fifty shows. That's you know I don't know if I had to do two hundred fifty shows playing the best music in the world. I don't know if I would do it even for ten billion. That's just my that's because you know why? Because I just like playing. I just like sitting in my office all day. <laughs> to, to, telling right. me to go to two hundred fifty shows, forget it. I'm not doing that for a billion dollars. I don't need a billion dollars to sit in my office. But um, I can I can even get you to do twenty five shows. Yeah, I can't even do twenty five podcasts in my office, let alone two hundred fifty. <laughs> so uh, let's see. They said. Um, um, they said no. We said no because they wanted 250 shows. It was incredible. No chance. No chance. We would have done it. So, and uh, you know, I think I think also I don't know if they really liked each other that much at that point. But anyway, that is ten. Uh, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's eight artists who turned down a lot of money for artistic integrity. So I want to ask people which one was the most incredible to you and would you have turned it down? And I'll tell you, for me, for some reason, the jewel one sticks in my head. Like she was living in her car, homeless, and only 19. So when I was 19, if someone offered me a million dollars to do my dream, which is to sing, like if, you know, if I was jewel singing music was her, her dream, I don't know what I've turned it down because even if that first album's bad, I'll have the million dollars. I can maybe, you know, you know, some of it goes towards making the album, but then I would have had, you know, I could have relaxed a little bit instead of living in my car and maybe I could have uh, made another album. I guess she thought that she never wanted to sacrifice her artistic integrity. And, you know, when I write a book, I would say, I would say one time when I wrote a book, I sacrificed my integrity a little bit. I wrote the, the Wall Street Guide the Wall Street Journal Guide to Investing in the Apocalypse. Now, I had a good idea for a book, but they, 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 they really edited it a lot, and they they had someone else write on it. This was like in I don't know two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and uh, uh, I didn't really I didn't really like it at the end. I, I I'm ashamed of that book a little bit, and so I would say that was the disappointment. But like now, I don't write a book unless I'm really feeling super strong that this book will, will, has helped the ideas in this book has helped me. Cause I know if it helps me, then a probably, it's like what Jewel said. If, if, if it's entertaining to me, it'll probably, everybody could relate. We're all culturally relatable. And so it'll be entertained or will help others. So, uh, I guess, but, but I have to admit that there are, there are times where I've probably sacrificed artistic integrity. Certainly when I do, um, 
you know, more commercial things and, and so on. But my, my, I have two books coming out in February and March. This is not, I did not do this to advertise my books, but skip the line. And, uh, we got answers, which is an audiobook coming out in March that I, uh, uh, did with, uh, Charlemagne, Charlemagne, the God, who's the host of the breakfast club. And it's an audio book. It's about, it's about racism actually. And, uh, it'll be, it's very good. And skip the line is, I think my best book ever, but we'll, we'll, I'll cover that in another episode, but which one, Jay, which, which story was the most incredible to you that you can't believe turned down the, the money? Stallone, the, 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 I mean, even though the Stallone one is only 300,000, uh, I felt like that going to be, the, I felt like that's a little bit more incredible because he has to sell the dog. I mean, I have a dog myself, so I can relate to that. And also, like, I can relate to, like, oh, I'd rather do it by myself or I'd rather have involved in it rather than, you know, selling it away and not have anything to do with it. You know what I mean? Like, I always want to have control or yeah. in my own project. Yeah, because if it didn't work out, maybe no one would hire him as a writer again. Yeah. So, But still, though, I feel like it's almost like a lack of confidence in your talent to turn down the money because you think this is your one chance. Like it's almost a scarcity complex, but you know, they were young, they were broke. They, you know, one thing I know is that when I, you know, I, I didn't grow up with money. And when I first was, had a job in New York city, I was dead, dead broke. I had no money. I lived in one room with another chess player from Washington square park. It was a one room apartment. I slept on, a mattress on the floor. He slept on the couch and it was $300 a month. And that's all I could afford. My salary at HBO, well, I had no money coming into it, but my salary was 40,000 a year, which I don't know, after the taxes are taken out is uh, $2,000 a month. So there, I really, there was no apartment in New York city I could afford. I couldn't even afford $300 a month. So I would eat like, I would eat like one meal a day of ramen noodles. And uh, uh, and I turned down a job at JP Morgan for double that because I wanted to work at, at HBO, but I don't know if someone, if someone had said to me, Hey, here's a million dollars to write a book, uh, but you have to write a book about flowers and it has to say flowers are bad. I don't know if I, I don't know. I don't know if I got to turn that down. I would have taken it. I think. So, so yeah. everybody out there listening. I mean, money is money. Yeah, I mean, and then I would just write the next book. But anyway, everybody who's listening, tweet out what your favorite of these stories was. And if there's any big ones that I missed that you think are really interesting stories, let me know. I'm, I'm collecting stories of artists who turn down money, artists or entrepreneurs who turn down significant money because of artistic integrity or entrepreneurial vision. Thanks very much for listening to this. This is another episode of the My Favorites sub-series on the James Altucher Show. If you like this, oh, please, I, I would really appreciate if you write me a review on iTunes. It really helps me out. Yeah, and check out my book, Skip the Line, coming out February 23rd. I'm really proud of it. And I'll, I'll it's about basically how to find your passion or even change passions anytime in your life and skip the line so you can be successful as quickly as possible. There's no BS in the book. I hate BS self-help books. This is all techniques that I've personally used and I've changed my career at least five or six times, like completely changed it. But 
I'm going to do an episode about some of this stuff soon. Thanks very much, everybody. Thanks, Jay. And talk to you soon. Bye. Mm-hmm.